0: Man, I'm so glad that you're here as we uh, finish up this month-long series on grace. Uh, you know, I told you, I've told you a couple of times that I wanted to start this year talking about grace because I think it's something, first of all, that's like vital to us understanding and comprehending that we are under grace, under God's kindness and His mercy. But I, I just know that a lot of people were kind of feeling stretched thin after 2020, and then the first you know, part of 2021 wasn't fantastic the first week or so. And so like, just to be reminded when we come to this place, uh, let me say that differently. When we come to this place, being able to remind one another that we are under God's grace. Uh, see, if I'd said it the other way, it sounds like we're only under God's grace when we're in this place, and that's not what I mean. But uh, you won't be bothered by that, but I would have been. So it, to be able to To be able to share with one another and just talk about it and say, Look, like we're under God's grace. We are under His mercy. If you have your Bible, your phone, your iPad, your neighbor's phone, whatever you've got, open up if you would please or turn to or find 1 Peter chapter 1. This is our fifth sermon in the series called The Excellence of Grace. And this week, uh, the sermon is called The Grace of Glory. The Grace of Glory. Here's what we have on tap every week. I give you a theology, an application, and a prayer. Here's what we have on tap this week. Our theology is this. Our final grace is eternal glory. Our final grace is eternal glory. It'll be up on the screen in a moment if you miss it, if I go too fast for you now. Our application is this. Fix your eyes on lasting grace. Fix your eyes on lasting grace. And our prayer this week is, God, we praise you for the undying grace you give us. God, we praise you for the undying grace you give us. Back to our theology, our final grace is eternal glory. We've been talking about grace all week or all month. Uh, We started the very first Sunday of the month, and I was sharing with you that God's character is to be gracious. 2 Samuel 14, 14 tells us that God is not looking for ways to push people away, but looking for ways to bring people near and draw people near. Isaiah tells us, rather Jeremiah tells us, that God is longing to be gracious to us, that that it is in God's nature to be gracious. The following week, we talked about the grace of salvation, that salvation is God's gift to us. It uh, It is measured to us by God's goodness. It isn't based off of our performance. It's an issue of faith. We trust that what God has provided, uh, that God's salvation that he's given us is sufficient and it's enough, and I don't have to add anything to it. The third week, we talked about the grace of holiness. So many of us were taught growing up, now you go be holy. You do these things to be holy. Don't do these things if you want to be holy. And we were taught a performance-based holiness, and yet we see from the scripture that even the holiness that we have is God's grace to us, that God is the one that has made us holy, that through faith in Jesus, we are made holy and we are righteous, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the work that God has done through Christ. Last week, we talked about grace for today. there's enough grace for today. Whatever you screwed up on today, wherever you were weak today, whatever you were struggling with today, God's grace is enough for that. And then today we end with the grace of eternal glory. The final grace that you and I will receive is when we see Jesus face to face and we are glorified together with him and we live with him forever. 1 Peter chapter 113, one of my favorite verses. I'll read it to you now and then we'll go back and digest it a little bit more fully. But 1 Peter 113 says this: therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your minds for action. Be sober in your spirit, be sober in your thinking, and set your hope, set your confidence, set all of your, your peace and everything fully, completely, totally on the revelation of Jesus Christ, on the day that Christ is on the grace that we're gonna get when Jesus shows up. So as a believer, so when he says here to gird up the loins of your mind, to get it ready for action, to be sober-minded, Peter here is saying this. He's saying that the way that the Christian thinks properly, the way that the Christian uh, thinks correctly, is to think on the coming grace that comes with Jesus. It's interesting because like uh, in in 2021, in our culture today, uh, you'll read an article every now and then, or maybe you won't, but You'll hear whispers that ways that we can fight off dementia, ways that we can fight off Alzheimer's is to exercise our brain. And your phone will now, like, I don't know, do you ever get the pop-up ad that says, you know how everybody, everything online knows how old you are, right? And, And so it'll pop up and it'll say, men over 40 are playing this game to keep their brains active because they know that I'm over 40, right? And so it says like, hey, play this game so your brain won't get stupid or whatever it is. You know, like they don't say it quite that in your face, but that's what they mean, right? So that your brain doesn't turn to jelly. And, and, and so we, we kind of have this idea of, man, I want to exercise my brain so that my brain can function well. Well, biblically speaking, when our brains function well biblically, when we're thinking correctly biblically, what we're thinking about all of our hope, all of our confidence, all of our joy is focused on the day that Christ returns. That's, that's thinking correctly. That's thinking biblically. And so Peter says this. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace that will be revealed to you when Christ shows up. Now, my college pastor... Uh, I went to Texas Tech in Lubbock and, and we had a really cool uh, college ministry up there. It was a very large ministry, about 450 college students at our church. We had our own service and our own worship team and all this kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. Our college pastor would always say, and I'm sure you've heard it from somebody else, but our college pastor would always say, anytime you see a therefore in the text, you have to go back to see what it's there for. So 1 Peter 1.13 starts with therefore. Uh, it's basically saying, because of all the stuff I just said, do this. So let's go back and pick up, if you, if you would, with me in First Peter 1, beginning in verse 2. First Peter 1, sorry, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his, that's God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, can be found to result in in, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. "'Though you have not seen him, you love him. "'Though you do not see him now, you believe in him "'and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible "'and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, "'that is, the salvation of your souls. "'Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied "'about the grace that would be yours "'searched and inquired carefully. "'They inquired as to what person or time "'the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating "'when he predicted the sufferings of Christ "'and the subsequent glories. "'It was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. Therefore, all right, so everybody now understands everything from the verse 3 through 12, right? I I remember growing up in church and having a pastor read something like that, and I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, I don't don't know, like, what, what does that mean, you know? And so I, if you're feeling frustrated right now, don't because I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to explain it uh, hopefully well. but uh, all of that that we just read produces the "Therefore" in verse thirteen. okay? So let's start again and go really slowly, and let me just let's just look at it. It says this in verse three that uh, in verse three and verse four, okay. So according to God's mercy, he's caused us to be born again. We talked about that three weeks ago that salvation comes from God. It's part of his kindness to us. It's part of God's mercy to us. Salvation isn't something we've earned. Salvation isn't something you're working for. Salvation isn't something you're trying to get, that if you can just be good enough, if you can just go to church enough, if you can just sing the songs loud enough, if you can just raise your hands enough, if you can just drop enough offering in the offering plate, if you can just go on enough missionary trips, if you can just lead enough people to Jesus that you'll be saved. No, it is the mercy of God. Being born again, the salvation that God gives is his mercy. Why? Because it is the character of God to be merciful. I said it four weeks ago. I'll say it again. It's not that God does not have wrath, but he has wrath for those who don't come under his character of mercy. His character is mercy. He's like, here it is. This is for you. And so God in his mercy lavishes salvation on us. Through what means? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is key. Your salvation, the mercy of God, is not based off of your performance. It's not based up off uh, the church that you grew up in. It's not based on, like, I, I, tomorrow's my Christian birthday. Uh, we celebrate our Christian birthdays in our house every year. The kids get to pick the dessert that they want and where they want to eat, Um. I eat too many desserts and stuff as it is, so I just acknowledge that this is the day that I, I put my faith in Jesus. You might not know the day, but you might know it like a time period. Michelle couldn't remember her day, but she kind of remembered the time period, so we just assigned her a day. And we celebrated every year, you know? And so, like, th- these are th- like, this salvation, this celebration that I do tomorrow isn't a celebration of, of Ryan. It's not a celebration of what I've done, it's a celebration of who God is and what he's done. That this was, this was through his mercy. This is through Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and raised from the dead. This is through the resurrected Son of God. This is how I came to be saved. Not because I look a certain way, not because I have a certain level of performance, not because I, I read the Bible or wear the Christian t-shirts or whatever, and I've, I've told you that, man, I junior high... That was my way of sharing faith, man. I wore all the Christian t-shirts. Like I just, Everybody was going to know I was a Christian because of the Christian t-shirts. Christian t-shirts are way better today. They're like done with calligraphy, you know, and like Christian t-shirts are done better today. But it's like, you know, people are like, hey, Christian t-shirt. Th- that's not what saves you. It's the resurrected Jesus and God's mercy. And then listen to this. So let me, according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Read that as according to God's great mercy, he has rescued us, ransomed us, redeemed us uh, to a living hope through what means through the resurrection of Christ from the dead for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The salvation that's coming. We have an inheritance in Christ. We have an inheritance in God's mercy that is imperishable, that is unfading, that is undefiled and it's kept by God. It's kept by God. You can't tarnish it. You can't diminish it. You can't make it be less than it is. This salvation that we have, this righteousness that we have, this holiness that we have, this inheritance of eternal life that we have is kept by God, preserved by God, intact because of who God is. It's not us. It's not what I do. It's not that I'm able to somehow uh, keep it intact and make sure everything's okay. does anybody in here like, ever like, have these moments where you just kind of, you just kind of like, have this irrational panic all of a sudden because you think you might have lost something important? There's a lot of memes about this on the internet. They all resonate with me, and the meme is usually something like this. A guy laying in bed, you can see his alarm. It's like 2 in the morning, and in the next scene, the guy's eyes are wide open. It's 2.01 in the morning, and he's like, where's my passport? Anybody ever have those kind of irrational things? You don't need your passport at 2 in the morning. You're not getting on the plane the next day to go anywhere, but suddenly you're like, Uh-oh. Where's that? Like, every now and then I'll be like, where are the kids? The kids have social security cards, right? Like, where, where are those? <laughs> Hopefully, they're in our firebox, right? Like, I've got like five things in there. There's like five things in all of my life that I don't want to burn up. Hopefully, two of those things are their social security cards, but I'm not entirely sure, right? Like, anybody have those kinds of panics? Like, what if, what if I really screwed this up? I have this panic every year, um, having for 20-something years run a nonprofit organization Every year when I had to file this like long form paperwork for the IRS, I was like, I I guarantee you I screwed something up. I I have more than once had a quarterly tax report or something due at midnight, gone to bed. And I will wake up at 1145 and go, oh, my goodness, that's due in 15 minutes. Anybody just like just knows that you are going to be the reason your life doesn't work out. Does anybody? It's just me. I'm the only one who knows for sure that I'm going to be the reason my life does not work out. It is, it is when I think about that that I am incredibly happy that my salvation isn't dependent upon me. I, I, the, IRS, the IRS contacted me and said, yeah, you've really screwed up. You're no longer a nonprofit organization. This was back in 2014. It turns out in 1997, this is how slow they are. It turns out in 1997, when you initially filed with us for your nonprofit organization, you checked the wrong box. We're revoking everything. I was like, that was 17 years ago. Can't we just let it slide? Like, I mean, we've been operating for a long time. Like, you know, and you just had this like panic. And over the next two years, two years, it took to get everything back, you know, the way it was supposed to go. And they're like, okay, you're you're fine now. I'm like, all right, you know, thank you. But I I just have these moments where I'm just like, I'm the reason it's screwed up. I don't know what's going wrong today, but I promise it was something I did. And it's probably because, like, that's just kind of my track record. The very first time my dad had me mow the lawn, I broke the lawnmower. The very first time my grandfather asked me to help him dig a sandbox in the backyard for the younger grandkids, I broke a water line, like it's just going to be my fault. It just is. I'm... I'm gonna be the one who drives the truck through the garage door at 16 years old into the garage. And like, that's just what's gonna happen. And so I'm incredibly grateful that it is the mercy of God that has brought me to salvation, that it is through the resurrected Christ that I've come to salvation and that my salvation, my inheritance is unspoiled and imperishable and cannot fade away because God is the one who guards it, who keeps it who protects it, who holds it intact for me. That it is God who's doing that. This future grace, this future glory that I will face one day where I will close my eyes in death and open them in the presence of the King, that God is the one who's guarding that for me. And then look at what this this next part that it says, and I love it. And it says, uh, so verse four, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that will be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded. You are being guarded in faith for a salvation that will be revealed at the last time. You're being guarded by God. So not only is your salvation of God, but you are being guarded by God for that, for that salvation. It is coming to you from God. Man, this is good news. You know that, right? Like this is, this is happy news. This is something that should, that should cause you to rejoice that God in his mercy saved you. That it wasn't by your means, that it was through the resurrected Christ and that this salvation that he keeps for you is imperishable, unfading, cannot be defiled and he guards it for you, he keeps it for you and then also he keeps us by faith for a salvation that will be revealed in the last time. A lot of times we think about salvation and we think about it this way. We, uh, this is the kinds of questions we talk about or the kinds of things that we say as believers. We say, hey, when did you get saved? Those are the kinds of questions that we ask. We ask it in a past tense kind of thing or somebody will say something like, I am saved. Present tense. Very seldom do we talk about it from a future tense. And yet the salvation that we have in God isn't complete until the day that we see him face to face. But we don't need to worry that somehow we might jeopardize the salvation, that the faith that we've put in Jesus, we don't need to worry that it's jeopardized. Why? Who's the one who keeps it? Who's the one who guards it? God is. Your salvation is not in jeopardy. God has guarded it. You're not in jeopardy. God has guarded you. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that Jesus is not only the author, not only the beginner of our faith, but the finisher of our faith. Like th- this is grace. Aren't you? Aren't you tired yet of performance? Aren't you tired yet of trying to have to win everybody's approval? Aren't you tired yet of having to to work all the time to compete? Like we have this mindset that we're in competition, if not with the next person, at least with ourselves. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Seculosity. It's an interesting book, but it kind of talks about how. Uh, a lot of people abandon religion for other things and it talks about they'll abandon religion for wealth or they'll abandon religion for their families or they'll abandon religion for their jobs or whatever and it just talks about how these other things basically become kind of like a religion to us like it's it's anyway there's this interesting there's this interesting concept i, I don't know about you but like uh, like I I give myself a hard time way too much. I I try, I need to try to do it less because I don't want to set a bad example for my boys, but I I probably say at least once a week, you know, I need a haircut and a real job. Harkens back to an old song. Any of you, no one get a haircut, get a real job, clean your act up and don't be a slob, get it together like your big brother, Bob. Why don't you get a haircut? Anybody? No. Okay. Uh, anyway, now y'all can go Google it. I'm sure it's on iTunes. I'll sing it for you, but no, I won't. And, uh, and so I'll frequently say, "Man, I need a haircut and a real job." And so now, if I say, "Man, I need a haircut," my boys will say, "And a real job." And uh, and yeah, there's there is a there is a level of that, right? Like I need, yeah, you know, like something that you know, nine to five. Although I would hate that. I would hate being in an office nine to five. Those of you who have to do that, thank you. I guess you know, <laughs> uh, you 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 allow the rest of us to be uh, like. I mean, you, you get it, right? Like, people ask me, what do you do for a living? I talk and paint. Like, that's what I do. I talk and paint. You like, know, I mean, like, I'm, anyway. So, <laughs> I, here's this thing, though. I'm just going to be honest with you. Today's the last day of January, and I've wasted January. I, I don't know, I don't know if I was in survival mode still from 2020 or what. I really think maybe I was still in survival mode from 2019, but I wasted January. 30, 31 days are gone right? Nearly 10% of this year is gone, and I've, I've done nothing and I'm like, all right, so now I've got to take that, that 10% that I didn't do and split it up over the next 11 months and work harder the next 11 months. Anybody else kind of that mindset? I wasted this time, so that means i got to work harder now. i got to make up for what I screwed up already. You know, like I, I, need, I need to sell about $5,000 worth of art every month to kind of like live. 4000 is doable. five is a little bit of gravy, you know, covers some of the taxes. And this month, you know, I'm like, didn't even come close. And you just kind of go, I'm glad September was a good month, you know, you're still living off of September, and then you're like, anybody just and so you start thinking like, man, I need to work harder and then and then anybody ever like anybody have this mindset that like now in our in our day and age, you can work from home, it's like really easy to work from home, anybody glad like when it just it snows and it's icy and there's a school delay or it's cancelled, <laughs> so like when, when, when school was canceled a couple of weeks ago, twice, uh, or we had a delay one time, and the boys were like playing in the snow, listen, this is great for me because now my responsibility as a dad is to go outside and throw some snowballs, right, and build a snowman and play in the snow. That becomes my responsibility. And I happen to like that responsibility a lot more than the work stuff. Anybody, Right. But there's almost, because you know that everybody else is kind of doing that too, you know that everybody else is sort of getting a pass, not all of you, right? Some of you are essential workers, you still have to go, but some of us are bums and we don't have to. And so, uh, so you, you kind of, you, anybody just kind of feel relieved when your rest cannot be your fault? Because you're afraid if you take rest, you're lazy. But if an outside circumstance compels rest upon you, you kind of go, oh, good. Anybody? Anybody feel that way? Just me? I'm seeing a couple of head nods, but you know, like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Rachel. So, yeah, head nod. All right. <laughs> so, here's my point. Here's my point. We spend enough of our life and our energy competing with ourselves or competing with others. And in salvation, you get a pass. Salvation's the snow day. Salvation is the rest day, and God has done the work. You good? No, y'all are all right. Doesn't bother me. Listen, God has done the work. God in his mercy through the resurrected Christ has given salvation to you, which is imperishable and unfading and undefiled, and he has preserved you and I by faith for that day of salvation. It's not your job you're free, hands off, breathe, take a rest, delight in it, rest in it, take your hope, take your confidence from this truth that it isn't in your power, it's not in your control, it's not your responsibility, look, the social security cards, you know, the, the paycheck, those kinds of things, whether or not you left the water on all night, like, okay, deal with those things, right, but your salvation, your salvation isn't yours, Your salvation isn't yours to control, to manage, to hold, to secure. God has done it. Look at this. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Christ, you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible filled with glory obtaining the attaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls we are we are waiting we are waiting for and longing for the salvation of our souls that god has not only gifted to us but preserves for us It's coming. Your salvation is coming. It's not just that you put faith in Jesus and you were saved. It's not just that you've put faith in Jesus and are saved. There is a moment when the the salvation that God has kept and your soul that God has kept meet together. They join together, and all of this comes to an end. Look, some of us, there are two, two extreme perspectives, both wrong. One extreme perspective says, man, my life stinks so much. I hate my life so much. I just wish Jesus would come back. That's not a love for Jesus. That's a hatred for your life. There's another perspective that says, man, I really like my life. I really enjoy my life. I hope Jesus doesn't come back quite yet. That's not a love for Jesus either. That's a love for your life. Both, in both cases, the focus is on your life. But what would it be like to say whether my life is good or bad, whether, whether I'm in the midst of suffering or whether I'm in the midst of great reward and blessing, that my goal, my aim is what? Is Jesus. This life that's coming from Christ, this blessing that's coming from Jesus. I don't see him now. But I love them. I don't see them now, but I believe in them, and I rejoice with inexpressible joy at the salvation that's coming. I rejoice in, with inexpressible joy about the salvation that God has kept. Like this is God's grace to you, freedom and rest and peace and no more performance. There is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not that everything you're doing is right, but not everything you're doing is going to be right, but thankfully we serve a God who gives us grace when we're not right. I promise you, you and I are wrong. I don't know what about, but I promise you we're wrong about something. I promise you, you stick with me for a year. Sometime in the next year, I'm going to say, look, I taught you this thing back in February. I was wrong. And I am grateful to a God who gives grace. But not just grace for the moment, but grace for eternity. This final grace that we give is glory, that we, we finally get to be made like him. We become like him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, so also we will bear the image of the heavenly. We're going to become like Christ. You're not Christ. You're not going to become Christ, but you will be made like him. God will transform you into what God has always intended you and I to be. Our theology is this. Our final grace is this eternal glory. By the way, listen, God of mercy caused us to be saved through the hope the faith in Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, and it is protected by God. You're protected by God. You don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him, but you believe in him, and you rejoice in the salvation that's coming. Therefore, verse 13, think correctly and put all of your hope on the grace that will be brought to you the today Christ is revealed. Every bit of it. Every bit of your confidence, every bit of your confidence in the midst of your cancer, every bit of your confidence in the midst of your job loss, every bit of your confidence in the midst of your promotion, every bit of confidence in the midst of your successes, put all of your hope on the grace that God brings or sins when Jesus comes. Put it all on Christ. That brings us to our application fix your eyes on lasting grace. Fix your eyes on lasting grace. Let Christ be your prize. Let Christ be your goal. Let Christ be your end. In the course of nearly 46 years of life, I've heard a lot of preachers. I remember one preacher when I was 19. He came to our college group. We were in a leadership conference. I do not remember really anything that he taught, but I remember one thing he said. And he said this, he said, if you want mansions and you want three car garages and you want boats and you want lake houses and you want bank accounts filled with money and you want all that stuff, he goes, you're not dreaming too big. You're dreaming too small. He said, because until you desire Jesus, your desires are too little. Listen, you want, you want the millions? Great. Go and get it. And then buy some of my art, you know? Hire Micah Micah to to build a table. Have Pierce design your website. You know, go make the millions. We don't need to be the ones that make the millions. We're more than happy for you guys to do it, you know? It's okay. Keep supporting the arts, right? The creative types. Let us be the creative types. You be the entrepreneurs. You make the millions. We will gladly go on your boat, you know? Uh, We don't have to clean it. We don't have to store it. We don't have to keep up with it. I'll bring the sandwiches. That'll be my contribution, you know? I'll bring the sandwiches when we're out on the boat. Need some extra sunscreen? Just let me know. Text me when I'm on my way. I'll stop and pick it up. 70 SPF? Got it. That's what I wear too, right, you know? I have my first adult appointment with a dermatologist tomorrow because I feel like I'm getting old and I've seen some spots and I'm like, is that just age or is that running in the sun? You know, I don't know. I don't know, right? Like, my dad had a lot of skin cancer removed from his face, so you kind of go, you know, like, uh, maybe, right? And so I'll bring the 70 SPF. I'll wear the hat. I'm that dad now. I'm that dad when I go out on the boat. But I'll, I'll, you know, like, do all that. Win all the prizes. Get all the promotions. Get all the success. But if any of that's your aim, you've missed the point. Set all of your hope on Jesus and His grace that He reveals to us when He comes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let your eyes be on Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. Listen to verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ Jesus, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory listen to this. This is what it means. Here we are going along in this world. We're living our lives. We're enjoying our families. We're making all the successes. We just bought our 14th boat. We're going along in life. Every small group, every Bible study has one now, Like right? We're just, you know, like, hey, here you go. This is your boat to borrow, right? We're going along. We have all the successes. We've been promoted as much as we can be promoted. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And listen to what Colossians says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear with him in glory. There is this finality. There's this coming together. There's this place where heaven and earth collide, where who Christ is, is joined to who we are, and we see him as he really is, and we become like him. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Dear children, we do not yet know what we will be. Anybody who tells you, I know what we're going to be like, they don't. We don't know what we're going to be. We don't know how great it's going to be. We don't know what what we're going to become. But 1 John 3 says, but here's, here's what we do know. We know that when we see Christ, we'll be made like him for we'll finally see him as he really is. There is a salvation, there is a joy, there is a hope where we say, look, I know that I'm going to be made new. I know from 1 Corinthians 15 that the perishable body puts on an imperishable body. I know that we will not all die, but all in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet, at the voice of the archangel, we will all be changed. We will behold our king, and when Christ appears, with him appears salvation and glory and new life and everything, and that is the culmination of all we live for. That's it. And none of it is my work. And all of it is God's grace. And that's good news. That is really good news. Anybody else like just know or just feel, maybe it's not even a no, maybe it's just you feel like you just screw everything up. Like you just can't ever seem to get traction. You ever feel that way? Can't ever seem to gain any ground, can't ever seem to get any further with your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your plans. You just feel stuck sometime. Anybody ever feel that way? I've got really great news for you. All those things, your wins and your losses, none of them, none of them shake the foundation of eternity. And eternity isn't in your control anyway. It is in the control of the very capable, loving, merciful, grace-filled God who has saved you and has not only rescued you, but has kept salvation for you and kept you by faith in him. And the mass of our failures and the pile of our successes will not sway his favor one way or the other. He has given us his love, his mercy, and his grace. I like a slower pace of life. I just do. If I have a lot on my plate, a lot of things that I need to get done, I don't sleep for like days. Not, not, because, not because like I'm really diligent and disciplined, but because just the fact that I have a lot to do stresses me out. You, you give me more than like two things on my schedule and, and I feel overwhelmed. And then I get nothing done. I have 12 commissions, 12 paintings that I need to be doing for other people, which is great news. I had 12 paintings two weeks ago. I've gone to the studio Tuesday through Friday every week for the last two weeks like I always do. And now I have 11. To put it in perspective for you, because some of you think it takes me four or five weeks to do one painting, it does not take me four or five weeks to do one painting. It usually takes me two days. I I I, I should be like almost done, and why am I not? Because I have twelve. <laughs> it's the truth. If I had one, I'd be done. I am so excited to be doing some other paintings. Like I have a series I've planned. I'm super excited about it. Can't wait to do it. I can't do it until I clear these twelve. But because I have twelve, I don't want to do them. Anybody else self sabotage? Right? Thank you, Cameron. You know? Yeah. Sarah, I saw your hand go up. We'll st- we'll form a support group. Procrastinators unite. Anybody else like? You're you're just you're gonna. You're just going to do better when you have to get it all done in two days. You know? you just, you're going to get it done. You're going to do it, and it's going to be really great. But you're going to stress about it for the first 14 days and do nothing, but in the last two days, you're just going to do it. You're not going to sleep at all. Anybody? I promise you, the last show that I did, the last art show that I did, was two years ago. My last two weeks leading up to my art show, I was up at the studio 17 hours a day. I was up there till midnight my last few nights trying to finish the series because that's just how I operate. And I just think, man, if I had spread that out over the 15 weeks ahead of time, I probably would have enjoyed that a little bit more. Listen to me. Here's what I'm saying to you. I am a preacher. I've been a Christian since I was three. I've known I wanted to preach since I was four. And I sabotage every single thing that I do, which is why I am so grateful that my salvation is not in my hands and that my grace is, And my righteousness and my holiness isn't my responsibility. And that forgiveness is the characteristic of God and not something I have to merit. Because if it rests on me, we're all in trouble. Man, God has lavished his grace and his mercy on us. He is a God who longs to be gracious to us. He is a God who is looking for ways to draw you near to him rather than to cast you away. He is a God who has given to us an indescribable, unfading, imperishable gift of salvation, and he is guarding your soul through faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ to bring it all to completion on the day of Jesus when the voice of the archangel shouts and the trumpet sounds and Christ breaks through the sky and we see see him, and it will not be our prize that we have earned. It will be the gift of God to us. And we will worship him for his mercy and his grace and his kindness, and that is good. It is good that God is gracious. It is good that we don't have to win it. here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to take a little moment to spend some time in prayer and praise God for the undying grace he has given us. Just spend a moment in prayer. And here's where I want you to start in your prayer, if you would. Would you start by just asking God to help you fix your eyes on him? Win, succeed, dream, have ambition, pursue great things, fail at some of them, fail at all of them, but don't let your successes or your failures be a measure of who you are. Would you take a moment and just pray that God would help you to fix your gaze, fix your eyes on the lasting eternal grace. God, we thank you that that we don't have to earn it. That our salvation is not based on our performance. God, some of us in this room have had a lot of successes and a lot of successes in following you, a lot of successes in knowing you, a lot of successes from culturally just things. And I pray, God, that you would humble us that we wouldn't for a moment believe that any of our salvation, any of who we are in you depends upon us. God, that rather we would just be people who put faith in you, faith in Jesus whom you supplied, faith in the cross, faith in the empty tomb, that our, our faith would rest in you, oh God. But like Peter says, that we would fix all of our hope, set all of our hope completely, fully, totally on the day that Jesus Christ returns that we would long for the voice of the archangel, we'd long for the sound of the trumpet, that we'd long for the day where we see Christ face to face and become made like him. God, our our suffering, our failures, and God, even our wins distract us from you. Let us cast those things to the side and put all of our hope in you and we thank you for your mercy, and we praise you for your grace, and we praise you for the way you've lavished it upon us. Take a moment, if you would, right where you are and just praise God, thank God that he, it is his character to be gracious. Thank God that he loves you, not because of what you've done right. He doesn't love you less because of what you've done wrong, he just loves you because it's his character. Take a moment just to thank God for his kindness. His grace, His mercy, His salvation, His provision. Would you?